Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. My guest on the podcast today is singer-songwriter Josh Garrels. Josh is a native of South Bend, Indiana. He spent more than a decade crafting music that wrestles with and celebrates the mystery of faith with authenticity and heart. His music is genre-blending mix of folk and hip-hop, and Garrels' music explores themes of compassion, hope, longing, and liberation. In his early 20s, Garrels came into the Christian faith, and that has shaped his musical journey. He began releasing self-produced albums in 2002 and has built a loyal following ever since. Garrel's most recent musical offering is Chrysaline, a curated anthology of sound with a supporting cast of over 30 other artists. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. First thing I just want to say is um, thank you for being willing to join us and uh, for what you have done. I've heard from Grace alumni, family, friends who have all been impacted by your music. And one of the things I found interesting is when they um, talk about you, it's a little bit different than when they talk about other artists. They, they, others, they may say, like, I like their song or I like their music. But when, when they talk about you, they talk about the impact, hmm. like about the place in their life they were. There's always a story. Interesting. Um, I, I heard his music when I was going through depression or um, when I was going through a difficult time. So just first of all, I just wanted to start off and say thank you for the way you've impacted even people close to me in my wow. life. What an honor, man. Um, you just finished up with Chapel at mm-hmm. Grace, so tell me a little bit. How was that experience, and, and what did you share with the students this morning? It was great. You know, it was a Q&A sort of forum thing, you know. It was good. I'm really comfortable with that type of setup. At my shows, often I'll do like a meet and greet where there's a half hour of just whatever questions people have. Yeah. That I sort of enjoy being nimble in real time, especially when there's like believers asking Questions about the things that are most important on my heart. You know, I tend to think often about how this life of faith works and where we're going and what's happening in culture around me. And and I mean, that's sort of where the questions landed. But then there's this audience of students. You know, I was telling, is it Wally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was telling Wally on the way in. I was like, this is, I enjoy speaking to college students because um, it's such a sweet time of life that just reminiscing back to that time in my life the world is sort of wide open in front of you you're disconnecting in a real way from home and parents and and you're entering into wide open space you know mm. finding what what am I made to do you know and that can be a clunky journey that takes the next 20 years of your life but some are able to sort of find it and yeah I'm mid-30s still trying to figure that one yeah. out but yeah <laughs> but in some ways I mean for me even though I, th- yeah. I think that was the age that I came to faith which is what I shared at chapel you know as a college student as a freshman and just even though I didn't necessarily have the what's and how's life was going to work that was completely an anchoring experience I was like oh this is what life is now mm-hmm and everything has sprung forth from that, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's just, it's a sweet age to be. So for that age, for me, yeah, faith was intertwined with that age of exploration and pioneering life, you know, which if, if nothing else, I th- something I've always felt, my pastor in Portland would say, it, that like sort of the narrowness of 
faith in Jesus alone mm. feels so narrow coming to it, but then it opens up into everything. So yeah, that happened to me at the age where life's opening up anyway. So I, I meet with students like this. I'm like, man, you guys are at like fun time. <laughs> you know, this is like a good you time. You got a lot, a lot of life ahead of you, you and do, a lot of figuring you know? out this whole yeah. Christian faith thing. Yeah. Yeah. And if we as the older ones can help a little bit to like narrow the focus, say like, no, 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 that's a distraction. Don't. You're gonna waste five years of your life yeah. doing that. You know what I mean? Don't, don't waste your time with don't that. Don't do that. Yeah. No, put your put, put your like hand to the plow right here, man. It's worth it. You know, if we can do that a little bit, shepherd them in, man. That's awesome. It could save some time. Yep. You know, be more efficient. When you grew up in South Bend, Indiana, not far from here, and you know, you, you mentioned you shared a little bit about that journey of faith this morning, and. You know, you, you even talked about how for some people it's a process mm-hmm. and, and for some people it's an event. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a moment in time. And for you, it was more a moment in time where you knew, like, yep. I have moved from darkness to light. That's right. Um, tell me a little bit of that story of, of how Jesus brought you to himself. Yeah. Uh, I'll try not to be as meandering as I was this morning. That tends to be how I speak, though. I tend to like... <laughs> shoot all over the place and I eventually get there um but yeah as I shared this morning I almost feel like it's a bit of both you know there there definitely was a process in the sense that I can remember times from when I was young earliest memories of sensing the nearness of God you know of having some personal interaction with this God that wasn't just my own mind, my own thoughts. You know, uh, maybe it was just a spiritual sensitivity that's trailed me into my adult years, you know. At the time, I don't think I knew it was him, but there was a sense that I'm made to do something. Um, I'm loved. It'll be fun to explore what I'm made to do, you know. But it was good. Whatever it was, it was good, you know. Um, but as I as I shared this morning... There were some sort of devastating things that happened in our family life that sort of sent my family spiraling and anchorless in some ways as a family unit. So my family got real tight in that period, but I feel like me and my older two sisters in particular, we shot out in every direction. I think by nature of how we grew up and some of that devastating experience in our family, we were all drawn to counterculture. So that was the big thing for me and my sisters, you know, in the, like the 90s. It was called like alternative indie rock, whatever you want to call it. But I gravitated to like punk rock music mm-hmm. and skateboarding, which almost no one did in South Bend. You had like your five dudes, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like you against the world, you know. But somehow that stance was instinctual to me, choosing something that was so anti, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even along the lines of music, which I've always resonated deeply with the music that I resonated with punk rock and hip hop um, weren't like dominant hip hop was not a dominant force at that time it was actually to be choosing something that was also sort of anti you know so I think I always gravitated to that which was sort of the rebellion in me you know Mm -hmm. but also a sense of I don't belong anywhere I was always friends with the minority kids and the thespians that hung out under the stairs and thought they were vampires in high school. You know, like, I just always gravitated to, like, the fringe. And in the fringe, those who live there know that it's very easy to be introduced to dark things, to drugs, to fringe modes of thought, fringe beliefs, fringe practices. And I think the part of me that's always been... um, 
interested and curious in life. Sort of Pandora's box, you know? So in a matter of years, high school into college, I was deep in stuff, you know, selling drugs out of my backpack and skating and just into friendships and circumstances that were increasingly sort of uh, dark, as you as you said, you know, there's a lot of words for it. Um, once I got to college, though, realizing like it was wicked, you know, so I had the sister Gayla, who was an art prof at Ball State University where I was going and she'd recently come to the faith dramatically, radically in her own right. Wow. She's very intelligent, my older sister. You know, she was a full-ride Whitinger scholar to Ball mm. State. Very intellectual. And previous to this, she had been um, an, an intellectual agnostic, but definitely with a chip on her shoulder towards Christianity, which many, you know, secular universities, any um, philosophy and anthropology class is pretty hard on Christians. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's very easy to be indoctrinated that yeah. Christianity is the ultimate evil. And so that's where my sister Gayla landed. And mm. that's how I knew her growing up, you know. And then all of a sudden she's like born again evangelical Christian as an art professor. It's not a lot of those. No, man. And it was like <laughs> shocking to me. Because yeah. previously she'd go buy me cases of beer yeah. for me and my buddies, you know. Now she's like sitting cross-legged with Zach, her boyfriend, and now is her husband, like weeping, reading the Psalms in our living room. Huh. I was like, what happened, man? <laughs> you know? But she's praying for me every day as I went to Ball State. And as I shared this morning, that's the moment for anyone listening who doubts the power of prayer and prayer for those you love that are wayward or mm -hmm. in darkness. It's a powerful thing because I can mark it. That's the moment when she started praying for me every day that the... Um, delineation between light and dark all of a sudden was drastic. Before that, it was a big mash of gray, you wow. know? Do good here, do bad there. You Play know? both sides a little yeah, bit. Yeah, kind of just try yeah. to find your way through life. I've done some things I'm not proud of, but here's some things I'm proud of. You know, mm -hmm. like, it just it's all mashed up. But when she started praying for me, all of a sudden I realized I had a foot or two feet firmly embedded and dark activities, mm -hmm. you know, and realizing the friendships that I had there and um, the things I was taking part in were de yeah. destroying me. And I think the moment of realization, the scary moment, if any of you have ever felt like, oh my gosh, I, um, I've gone too far in this area and this is gone. I mean, call it like a divorce of a marriage because mm -hmm. of something that's happened, an infidelity. There can be healing after that, but there's this sense afterwards, like, I can never take this back. This can never be restored. There was actually that, that level of tragedy hit me as like a 19 or 20 year old, where I realized like, I've made decisions that have firmly planted me on the dark side. And I wanted, I would go with my sister Gayla to church every Sunday, after like four or five nights of partying all night. And I would want the Lord. I would want this light. I, would, I could feel the light was tangible. Mm. You know what I mean? Worship songs would make me weep and I wouldn't know why. I mean, anyone who's been a Christian for a while, this is all like the obvious signs of like, oh yeah, you're making sense of sin, man. <laughs> you know, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, come son, come. But as I was, I didn't know what was happening. I mean, it was surreal to me. I didn't grow up in the evangelical church, uh -huh. you know, surreal. So it took like nine months for the gospel to make sense. And on that journey, um, I would pray every Sunday for two months, like, Lord, forgive me. You know, the pastor would say, bow your head and repeat this prayer. And I would do it because I wanted it. 
but nothing ever happened. So, like, you got to wrap your mind around that. How many times have we led someone in a prayer and then we say they're a believer now? And really, they might not be yet. They might be on their way. I, for months and months and months, would pray, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. But then I, like, because of the spiritual baggage and bondage of everything I'd taken part in, I would be drawn right back into it the next week, despite my will. And that, so talk about light and dark. I'm taking long, man. I'm sorry. You're talk good, about, man. This is good. This talk is what about, podcast format's for. Talk about like light and dark becoming revealed to me. Yeah. I would, you know, black out and wake up with blood on me and not know what happened. And I'd be automatic speaking at parties, saying things to girls that I wasn't even, something in the back of my mind, some conscious part would be saying, what are you doing, man? While my mouth would be saying things that were despicable. And this is while I'm praying every Sunday, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. So it was almost the spiritual fight for my soul. was mm. It was on. And the dark side was showing me like we have control. So the moment of tragedy is realizing like I can't escape. Like I've forfeited. That's the word I'm looking for. I forfeited something that when I was little, there was this hope that I was supposed to become something, that I had an identity. And I'd, I knew that I'd forfeited it. And it was so sad. It was frightening and sad and tragic. Um, but then there was a Sunday. There was a Sunday when, like, his voice broke through. And I knew it. And he said, today you choose. And I knew if I didn't choose that day, I might end up dead and I might not get another choice. It was that sort of severe. Wow. You know, he said, it took me off guard, actually, that particular day when he said, okay, today you choose now. And that was shocking. And then the thing happened. So when you talk about, so there's the process leading up to that. But for me, it is one of those. It was a drastic moment. Like I probably got exercised. You know, I had things living in me. Wow. So for you listeners here, I don't know what your theology is on that. But <laughs> well, there's a true spiritual battle that yeah, we don't see. Yeah. So, I mean, I had made agreements and taken part in activities that definitely had created bondage in me. And that stuff got flushed out, man. You know, like something left me and something new entered. And then, and then, and I didn't have a theology for that. You know what I mean? Right, I wasn't yeah, right. even sure who Jesus was at that yeah. point, because I was brought up with a real haziness on the identity of Jesus. All I knew is, bro, he saved me. <laughs> you know, something happened, and he saved me. He's the only one who could rescue you from that's that. That's right. Depth. That's right. And to be real honest, just as I talked about my sister Gayla coming to faith in an antagonistic intellectual and environment. Growing up in countercultures, I didn't want it to be Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, I was reading like the Celestine Prophecy and all these New Age books that are like, how do I get out of this? How do I like reach the light? I wanted it to be anything but Jesus. I wanted it to be some New Age thing that was like, could look cool or something. But it was Jesus. And so that was part of my submission was like, in hindsight, it's so dirty. But I was like, all right, I guess it is Jesus, you know? <laughs> and he just came in and did it. You know, now it's been 20 years of learning how to love wow. him and thank him you know but it was jesus man it was jesus for sure so then uh you um you said you actually went into the pastorate for a while or mm -hmm. worked at a church and then and then decided like okay music's music's where i'm headed and you've created a really unique sound for yourself um which is why you know you say genre bending i mean it's hard to like plug you into the box did that sound did that sound find you or did you find that sound um how did you get into this artistry yeah um that that is now your unique yeah. brand 
So this might this explanation I'm going to take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, mm-hmm. but it's honestly how I view yeah. how I view this is once again trailing back to those years outside of the faith. Music genre was religion. And I think that might be hard for some of the younger generation to understand because I think with the advent of Spotify Mm -hmm. and everything being available, the genres aren't as strict. When I was growing up, if you listen to punk rock, it's like... You know it. (laughs) It's your identity. Yeah. You are staking a claim and it's like you against the world or hip hop or like these subcultures like skateboarding. There's a whole list of like do's and don'ts. This is how you dress. This is how you talk. This is what you listen to. And as, you know, a youth like just crying out for identity and what makes me special and what makes me unique, I would like latch on to these genres and be like, and I would wear the persona. And it was religion. I mean, it's this set of standards that within your closed culture, you're either winning or you're losing. And I learned how to win in the subcultures that I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make it on top. I'll be seen as like, I'll like see the posers and point them out and I'll be the top of the heap in my chosen little culture. But that's actually religion. Yeah, That's actually a religion. No joke. That's how I view it. And so coming into salvation strangely enough was a dying to this like voltron of like counterculture that i had created by like assembling my ideal man of like Mm -hmm. what it looks like to be into like skateboarding and hip-hop and whatever the things i was into they were like youthful things Mm -hmm. but they were of utmost complete importance to me complete adherence everything i did was focused into winning and this being staking my claim, like this is, you know, mm-hmm. and coming to salvation. Strangely enough, it was it was letting that man die, this thing, this guy that I was creating. I know that sounds melodramatic, but for me, it was probably as dramatic or severe as like Apostle Paul, the Jew. You know what I mean? Coming to Jesus and realizing like. Oh, all that I count as lost now for the gain of knowing Christ. Yeah. Strangely enough, it was that sort of experience of like, okay, like that's no longer me. That's no longer me. Mm. But then interestingly, the repercussions of that was that I'm no longer controlled by the need to be accepted or identified or prove my worth with the music that I make or like the dress that I have, you know what I mean? While I still like aesthetics and there are certain sounds that I love, Mm -hmm. it actually freed me to You're not trying to fit a specific... That's right, man. So strangely enough, my salvation experience, the music is an outcome, sort of the... Well, the gospel is a freeing, right? That's right. The kaleidoscope of sound came from being freed of strict adherence to like one sort of like counterculture or something. So... That may not make sense to some, but I still feel like the music I'm making is the fruit of like being freed from something that I was in bondage to, which was strict adherence to being identified with something. Right. So now, yeah, the, the, the main point now is like I'm identified with Christ, but that means the expression can take on a lot of different shapes. And it also means I haven't had to like, (sighs) I want to be careful here. 
But because I got freed from these like sort of countercultures, subcultures, there are times that the church and Christian music industry has sort of the same uh, aromas, the same like sort of signifiers of this is how it's done. Closed, closed subcultures of this is what you do to make it to the top of the heap. These are the don'ts. We can tell who's in, who's out. And um, I think it's a human thing is what I'm saying. But it, it, it lives in the church too. Not everyone's playing the game, but there are those who are, you know. And so I think in some ways, even within certain certain segments of like Christian music industry, when I see like, oh, I think they're doing that thing, that thing that I got freed from, mm-hmm. I don't want to take part in that. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to distance myself from the Lord or the church or Christian music. But when I, when I sort of sense that that's happening, I know enough to be wary because that's the thing that I got yeah. saved. That's the thing that I got saved from. And it actually feels like it's going to start constricting the sound. And I want to keep the sound free to like where the spirit leads. Wherever man. he goes. <laughs> well, yeah, so There's a long answer to your yeah, question, man. No, but it, it's, it's, you know, as I've gotten to know your, your music and, and your story, I mean, you, you do things different um, than, than I've seen elsewhere. Um, and you know, for instance, we were just talked before this, I mean, you just dropped an album a month ago. This is your first show tonight mm-hmm. at Grace College. Um, that's not the typical way to do things. I mean, it's drop an album, get on the road, do as many as you can, that's as right. fast as you can. That's right. Um, or, you know, give away your music for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, as, as a first fruits, I think you've yep. called it. And that's not, uh, that's not the right way to do it. Um, uh, according to, you know, yeah. whatever the right way is. Um, so you, you, it's almost like a, a redeemed rebelliousness you still have in your, in you, you do it differently, you, yep. but, but it's redeemed, um, through what Christ has done in, in your life. That's right. H- how do you come up with those? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm going to do, I'm not going to do a show for a, a month after I drop a new album or yeah. I'm going to give it away for free. Like, um, does the, does the spirit you know, provide those ideas to you? Where did, where does that way yeah. of doing it different come from? I think it would fall when you talk about like Holy Spirit interacting, leading us. Yeah. There's also the scripture. There's also personal feelings like, wow, like this idea keeps being impressed on me over and over again. And I'm kind of stubborn. So sometimes it'll take like months of being impressed with an idea until I like take it seriously and say, I'm going to follow through with this. So I think all of those things I just named fall and the bucket of discernment, yeah. you know, which isn't, there are a few times in my life, there's been one radical moment where I feel like he, the big voice of God is like, <laughs> no, do this or go this way, you know? But I think those sort of radical junctures are fewer and far between. There have been a couple of those, but more often than not, I think there's discernment, something me and my wife do, you know, I think it lands more in sort of this Catholic practice, which is one of just spiritual discernment, which in real broad strokes is just looking at your day or your week and figuring out like where were the moments of what's called consolation. So where were the moments where I felt near to the Lord and I felt life being breathed into my life? Or I took part in this activity and time, I didn't even realize five hours flew by. I was Mm. so engaged in what was happening. Or I felt so loved or so known. You know, those are consolation moments. Where are the moments where you felt desolation? Where do you feel like something was robbed from you? Where do you feel like 
there was a vacuum of something being taken. Oh man, I like I got on Instagram for 30 minutes and I feel like <laughs> I feel like I just got robbed of something precious, you know? Like looking at these moments in our life that um, take from us in a way that feels like robbery or a way that feels depressing or vacuous, you know? And you begin to see now you can't just not do your taxes because it's desolating. So sure. there's got to be there's got to be <laughs> there's some discernment. There there's too. wisdom yeah. and discernment in this. But so many things you'll begin to see a pattern emerge, you know, and then you can realize, oh, this keeps happening and it keeps being a good thing. This keeps happening and it keeps sort of being a negative thing. I need to begin to take that seriously. And within that practice, there might be significant life changes where you realize, gosh, on paper, my life looks really good. I have this great job. We have this beautiful house. People would covet what I have. Yet everything that I'm doing to hold that thing afloat is feeling like it's robbing my soul. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yet when I do this other thing over here, which doesn't, is very risky if I were to put all my eggs in that basket, yet it's where my mind, my vision the unction in me continues to like draw near to that. It might not be a drastic decision. Tomorrow you quit your job and start doing that thing. It might be gradating towards it, or it might be if you're a zealous personality like me, you quit your job and you go do <laughs> you that, go do, you know? Yeah. But I think a lot of these decisions, to answer your question, stem from continual feelings of some of these programs that say, this is the way you have to do this. I have friends right now that are trying to make a living as writers. And so they take these courses that say, you need to do it this way. You need to be hyper-present on social media. You need to answer everyone who ever comments because you're trying to win their trust. You need to get as many people as you can on your newsletter and hype up the opening day of the, you know, like the whole program where it's like, okay, like there's, there can be some wisdom in that, but just to accept that wholeheartedly as a believer, there's something that smacks a little bit of like worldly wisdom to mm-hmm. me. Like, could there be a different way that these people don't know about? A way that like he actually knows my personality. He knows those that could be affected by the work I'm creating. And the best route to actually speak to them is this weird one over here that no one's telling me to do. But it, I've done things that kind of land in this route and it seems to like really work well Mm. and then so I've seen it work enough this like other route that I'm like I think that's kind of how I do it and then you like start you know and then all of a sudden there's people coming behind me that are like gosh I've seen that and I'm I feel good about that route too it doesn't feel like I'm having to oversell myself or you know yeah so all that to say you've got to create a lot of space to have time to make those discernments too I mean that takes it is so I realize right now I'll tell you you got five I'll tell you full well that I'm like, thank the Lord. He's given me margin in my life. Part of that margin is one of the discernments that I've worked through is I don't do a lot of shows. I'm not a heavily touring artist. I feel like this year in particular, he's like his sort of directive to me has just been write and record as much music as you can. So that means saying no to a lot of gigs, you know. But my life right now, I take off every morning. Me and my wife wake up at like 5.45, 6 in the morning. By 6.20, 6.30, I'm in my car, and I don't make it back home until 8.15, 8.30. I have two hours every morning that I drive around country roads of Indiana. I try to choose the most like random, back road, obscure, where I don't see anyone else. It's just trees and corn and fields. 
and I sit in silence and drive around with a cup of coffee and I talk to the Lord. That's two hours of my day. I've just realized that I can do prolonged times with him if I'm moving and I see things passing me by. Hmm. I can't just sit on a couch for two hours. But that's a margin a lot of people don't have. Not everyone can just say, yeah, I'm going to like do a leisure drive in the country for two hours every morning as the sun's coming up. But that's been built into my life. Partially, it's a huge grace. And partially, I constructed my life to make that possible. It's a discipline, too. I constructed my life to make it possible. And I've realized you spend that amount of time and there are patterns that emerge that that are signposts for the direction that I'm to go. Wow. You know? So... Everyone needs to find their own rhythm, but everyone should have some of that rhythm because to really take time with something. And I recommend the morning because usually that's when our spirits are most sensitive. By evening, usually I've already forgotten what he told me in the morning, you know. But if it can be in the morning, you'll begin to see patterns emerge. I think that's a huge thing for a a takeaway from this conversation is – is crafting that and it's man that that takes discipline too to it does to Saying wake up no and to certain your, things right and yep. say no to a lot of things to be able to and not you know hop on instagram for 30 minutes the first thing you do when you get up in the morning or so i'm gonna vamp on that real fast there have been periods in the past five years where first thing in the morning is instagram and and i felt like the lord spoke to me you're poisoning your roots by engaging that, I would realize my day would be set on a certain track when I would be Facebook, Instagram, email, news, first thing in the morning. And I'm coming out of a few years of, for the first time, having anxiety issues, which I mm. think a lot in their 30s, early 30s through, are starting to experience that, peers of mine, you know. And he has, like, led me to show me how to, like, combat it. And it's finding peace first thing in the morning, putting your roots down by streams of living water. And so I don't touch Instagram and social media until I go to work at like nine, 10 in the morning. So I've had this like three or four hour chunk without engaging in any of like the interweb world mm. and what it has to say about my life and my identity and comparisons that those are actually poisoning the roots of my day. And that on a prolonged period has physical, mental, spiritual ramifications, you know? That's huge. It really does. It really does. You made um, a, a big decision to move back to Indiana, you know, the mecca of um, music um, that Indiana That's right, is. Man. John Cougar Mellencamp, man. <laughs> the Gaithers. <laughs> there you go. You're not far from Gaither country there, are you, at all? The Jacksons up in Gary. We There's, got a couple. Yeah, yeah, we, we got, got a couple, man. Um, <laughs> uh, most women ended up sort of leaving at some point, too, but you, you actually right. came back. That's right, man. Um, and uh, talk to us a little bit about, like, you know, what made you say, I'm going to leave the beautiful northwest where it's lovely and there's creatives everywhere yep um and i'm gonna come back to indiana uh talk to me about motivations and and how the lord led you and your wife to that decision yeah i'll do my best because this is another sort of peeling the onion where Uh. i could i could describe to you six different layers of why Uh. i'll try to i'll try to stay on point here and maybe give you the most important ones um i would say one the one that comes forth in my mind immediately is what I was just alluding to or just talking about, which is being taken off guard by a period in my early mid thirties of recognizing fear and anxieties that I'd never 
felt and even when they happened, I wasn't able to name it. I wouldn't have thought it was fear or anxiety. Hmm. There was just an overall sense of something's wrong. And it was having physical ramifications, which sort of threw me into this crisis position with the Lord. But that's happening right at the moment when my music sort of like took off in some ways. Yeah. And we were able to buy this beautiful like 1911 four square right in the urban core of Portland and build a studio in the backyard. And we have healthy children and we're part of a great church. And our life on paper, we're living in like hipster capital of the country and able to afford a living there, which is difficult to do. Mm-hmm. So there's this sense of like, we did it, we made it, you know. At that same moment, internally I'm withering and having anxiety and fear for the first time in my life and these senses that something's off, which pushed me in to the Lord, you know. And it took two years of discernment to recognize what was happening and at the end of that process realizing it's time to go. It's time to leave this place. And we didn't necessarily know where we were going. So we looked at North Carolina. We looked at places in the Midwest. Originally, we were going to move to Bloomington, Indiana. And then so we moved the whole family there in four days before closing on this beautiful 28-acre property right off the main campus, Civil War era, stone fencing all around it. Mm. I mean, beautiful. I sensed the big no in my heart. And I just moved my family back to Indiana. We were only supposed to be in Muncie for four days while we closed on this property in like the, you know, everyone knows Bloomington. It's sort of like the. It's, it's like our the best li- version of Portland. <laughs> it's the little Portland of yeah. Indiana. We're like, okay, this will be like the least dramatic transition if, we, if we're going to live in Indiana. Sure. And we ended up in Muncie, which is really interesting. We didn't see it coming, but we knew it's, okay, this is where we're supposed to be. But with that, um, I think there's, this is the only other one I'll share. Like I said, there's lots of. Uh, mm-hmm. Different layers to the onion here. So I got someone beeping it. I'm going to put this down. You could edit that if you want or keep it. (laughs) Um, I've always been struck by the storyline of Abraham, of St. Francis of Assisi, of in our modern times, Wendell Berry, who all of these, they leave Ur of the Chaldees. They leave... Um, a spot in the royal family and inheritance. They leave, in Wendell Berry's case, like a vibrant future for a writing career in New York City, where if you make it there, you make it anywhere. And Wendell moved back to rural Kentucky, where his family was from, um, to write agrarian essays and poetry. And from that place, having writings that I consider prophetic, just like St. Francis in his own way was prophetic. His order lives on to this day. Abraham going into the desert had a strong voice from the desert. And that storyline, for whatever reason, has always deeply affected me. Um, So living in a place that felt like the epicenter of what's happening now with food and music and fashion and ethos of like my generation of hipsterdom, you know? Mm Things were ceasing to have meaning. I don't know what, if there's a place that's curated, hit all my sweet spots with like music, culture, aesthetic, you know, I'm still dressing like I'm from Portland, but <laughs> there's a place that's like would meet all the sweet spots. Yeah. If there's a city, I like that city a lot more than any other. But there was something that once again was withering. And so I think there's something about what me and my wife called chosen obscurity and a forced simplification in life 
Wendell Berry has essays on the myth of endless option. Life right now, more than ever, sort of choose your own adventure. Um, choose your own adventure with everything, gender, sex. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what do I want to watch? Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. Yeah. It's all available at all times, and it's within my grasp to have whatever I want. And I think that's a large contributor to the anxiety and fear and anchorlessness and the unmooring of our souls with something that can hold us. And so honestly, I think coming back to the Midwest was a forced simplification in my heart of hearts, knowing this is what I need. I need to like get rid of some of the options here, you know? Um, I need a simplification for the sake of my own faith. Like it's been enormous for our faith to come to a place where it's like there's kind of a simplicity and a coming back to the, the the heart of a thing, you know, which I think even plays into this album I put out. Like I just want to sing to the Lord, you know. I like doing singer-songwriting. I like storytelling. But this one, this is where I'm at right now. I'm just coming back to like the Lord and the gospel and Yeah. It's neat to, uh, you know, as you've even expressed your journey, um, how you've always, you've said it many times, come back to the Lord. It drove me to the Lord. The anxiety drove me to the Lord. And what a good message for us. Like, what should our response be when Hmm. these things pop up in our lives? Because it happens to all of us all the time. Like, what's our first response? Yep. Um, And it's, it's often for me not you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to go to the Lord with this. Hmm. Um, just a great reminder for us. And you brought up the new album, Chrysaline. Um, and I know even the, the name itself has a unique story behind it. Um, and, and you mentioned it a little bit, but how is this album different from, from what you've done before? Yeah. Well, For me internally, it was a big shift for whatever reason. And my wife and others kept saying, I don't think other people are going to see it as that. But for me, it was sort of like a a big shift internally for whatever reason. um, Whereas I think my wheelhouse over the past several years has been this sort of singer-songwriter space where I'm talking about the kingdom in more parabolic fashion. Without saying the kingdom of God is like this, I'm singing the whole song of like this, mm-hmm. like an owl, you must fly. You know, like, I'm telling things in sort of story form, myth, which I, I still love. That's a way of storytelling, a way of connecting that I love. And I think it incites mystery and piques interest. But this one I knew, I just, this time I think I'm just supposed to say it, even from my own heart. Whereas the others, yeah, have been storytelling through the lens of the kingdom. This one was a bit, maybe if you just want to call it vertical, where it's Mm -hmm. like, I think this one, I've never considered myself like a worship artist or a praise and worship singer. But this one I knew, I think I'm just supposed to like praise him. Mm. I'm supposed to name it. I'm supposed to just offer this one up, you know? And it comes, I don't want to major on this too long, but I am conscious that it comes at a point where there's a, like a shaking going on in the body of Christ. Uh, noteworthy men and women who are publicly renouncing the faith. Friends, dear friends of mine who are walking away 
vocally. And that's a story that we're hearing more and more. Not It's not everyone, but I do think we all would agree it's a story we're hearing more and more. We're hearing a testimony of unbelief. And so I think for me there is maybe an internal instinctual thing that, you know what, there's this like pointed testimony of unbelief in this period where I actually feel like I'm drawing closer. Mm. And I think even if it's uncomfortable for me, and some people aren't going to understand this shift, they liked the Josh that was alluding to things that they could play in their car with their friends who don't believe and it's still kosher, you know. But I knew that, like, this is my testimony in some ways, Mm -hmm. that I think there needs to be some music that lands in this place of saying it and lifting the spirits of those of us who are holding on for dear life. Like, there maybe needs to be a soundtrack for some of us, you know. And I think maybe there's some who connect with my sound who wouldn't connect with top 40 praise and worship, you know. And that's okay. That's okay. Maybe like I'm singing a soundtrack for a certain for a certain group of my peers that's just encouraging them in things of the faith. Hmm. Um, so that's what that, this one felt like to me. Um, I don't know if there'll be ramifications to my career because of it, you know. I've sort of lived this nice in-between where – Apple Music and Starbucks will highlight my work. They might not highlight this one, but that's going to have to be okay. You know what I mean? I knew f- full well that I'm that might be a sacrifice, yeah. um, but that's okay. So for me, that was the shift. Like even my entrepreneurial hat, knowing like, okay, this this might not be good for business, but yet these are the songs that I feel like I need to sing right mm-hmm. now. These are the songs I want to sing right now. This is where my heart is right now. And And letting it land there, you know, letting the chips fall and being like, whatever happens, it's okay. You know, you even, you even did some hymns, right? I mean, uh, consecration. um, And uh, I actually had a cousin reach out and say, you know, ask him why he wrote that or why he did that song. Um, You know, it was an album that meant so much to her. And and you took a you took some hymns consecration um, by Francis Havergale, mm-hmm. and and you added some stuff to it. Um, and so yeah, you you went way back um, a couple hymns I think on this album actually, uh, and really just told the told the truth of the gospel in in simplistic form. And I know that spoke to so many, and, and I've had some of those people reach out to us. Mm. Um, Tell us a little bit about crystalline, though. Just the uh, uh, the the word itself, like you know, it's I couldn't find it in the dictionary, um, yeah. And, and where it came from, um, just uh, so people just get a general idea of of the album's overall theme. Yeah, crystalline. I was uh, hesitant at first to call it that because that sounds like some wonder drug that like <laughs> has a bunch of awful side effects with a commercial of like a butterfly, you know. <laughs> But the butterfly, yeah, because yeah. it's it's actually chrysaline, the word would be connected to. It would be a form of the word chrysalis. You know, the chrysalis being when the caterpillar creates the cocoon, sure. it's that phase in the development that then it will become a butterfly, the chrysalis. So chrysaline is connected to that word chrysalis. Chrysaline would be the adjective, which would be the process. So the crystalline process mm. of changing, transforming, metamorphosizing mm-hmm. from one thing into another thing, the process in between those two. And why that's important to me is I feel like that's the process that I've been in the midst of, leaving Portland, showing up in Indiana. I'm just conscious that that's the process that I'm in. I'm 
you know, it could have its overarching, its overarching storyline of like, yeah, we're human and one day we'll be resurrected into our, you know, sure. which that's the, that's the huge storyline, which amen. Yeah. But I also think we go through those transitions in our life here on earth, you know, where God's changing us into something new, you know, where, you know, it says in Ephesians, as we're like sitting in the heavenlies with him in spiritual places Mm. where all the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ are there and we're seated with him. And through faith, those can be invited into like our existence right now. And I think that can have a crazy transforming effect. So you talk about that word consecration, and I feel like that's the crystalline process. That's saying all that I have, my voice, my finance, my body, my lips, my eyes, my motivations, my desires, my future, I'm laying them on this altar. I'm giving them to you for your uses. That's within our power to do that part. That's consecration. You put your gift on the altar and you say, I'm taking my hands off of this now. But sanctification, which is his answer to that, we have no control over, which is him taking the offering and setting it apart for holy uses. And I felt like, I feel like that's that's the process I'm in. It's not a once and done thing. I'm in this process of consecration. That's why I chose to sing that because I feel like Francis Havergal's hymn is so pointed. It's such a just beautiful writing, you know, that I'd been reading that hymn just as like my personal devotion for months. And so naturally I was like, I want to sing this one, mm. you know, but in my way. But you added a little little bit at the end, right? I um, did. The chorus, which is I surrender all yeah. you know, to you, my savior, a living sacrifice I offer. That's awesome. Send your fire upon the altar, which then is sort of the climax of the song. Yes. saying Like I'm praying that you will answer this. You know, I'm putting it out there, but it, yeah, but yeah, I, you're going to God's got to do something, too. Yep. Um, wow. mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Josh, thanks for taking the time to, um, tell us a little bit of your story. Tell us a little bit about this album. Just be on campus with us today. Yep. Um, and again, thanks so much for the impact you've had, um, on lives and, and just being willing to live a rather vulnerable, hmm. um, in your own walk. And I think people see that and, and that in, in their unique story, um, gives them somebody else willing to live vulnerable for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just appreciate the way you live, the music you produce, and thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for listening to the Grace Story podcast. The music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. And thanks to Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer, our co-producers. And if you could do us a huge favor and share this podcast wherever you got it from, we'd be so grateful. Until next time, Live your best grace story today.